Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. My name is Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church, and it's great to be here with you. We are in Galatians, and Galatians we've described as a powerful little bomb of a book that focuses us on the gospel, what the gospel does. So that word is something that we use over and over because the scriptures use it over and over. And the gospel is good news. It's a proclamation. It's an announcement of something that's happened that has an impact on our lives. And that thing that has happened is described in Galatians as Jesus giving himself for our sins to deliver us from death and from the power of this evil age and to the Father. And today we're going to talk about what it means to be in a family a little bit. And so I don't know if you guys have followed this, but there's a whole saga going on with the movie The Blind Side. I think it was a book too. Michael Orr, who was a professional football player, was adopted, but maybe not, by a family. Anyways, I don't know all the details of this. I don't know if anyone knows all the details of it. But the gist of it is that you had someone who thought he was adopted into a family. And when we use that word, adopted, it means that you truly belong in that family now. Like you are part of the family legally. And then hopefully also experientially and relationally. And so anyways, one of the claims of this saga is that they said that they adopted him, but now he's found out years later that they didn't really adopt him. They were kind of like his guardian for a period of time, but he actually doesn't have any legal claim to the family. And I bring that up because this is a good image. It's a good picture of why Paul is so upset. He's so upset with this church in Galatia because he has heard that everything that he was saying to these Gentiles, that they can be part of God's family by faith in Jesus Christ alone, was now brought into question by these false teachers who were saying, yeah, you're, you're kind of part of the family, but you have to do some things to really be part of the family. You have to actually keep all of the laws. You have to become Jewish in your practice in order to be part of the family. And so for this church, this early, and these churches, these early fledgling churches, it would have brought into question everything that these Gentile Christians, who would have been very early in the faith, thought they believed. And so today, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at basically a home inspection that Paul does. And you're like, home inspection in this economy? No way. <laughs> but it's really important. He's, he wants the churches in Galatia to be certain of what he has taught them. He wants them to be certain of the gospel. And so he uncovers everything and says, here is the foundation. Let's look at it. Let's look at the foundation that this church is built on. 
and examine it. And let's talk about if there's anything lacking in it. If you need to add more to the foundation. And so he goes into his personal history and he summarizes about 20 years in like a paragraph. (laughs) So it's a lot. It's a lot. It's exhausting just to listen to it. So we're going to go quick over a lot of text and a lot of history, and I'm going to bring out a couple of salient details to show how the gospel intersects with human history and transforms it. Because that's what's happened in Galatia, and Paul's reminding them of that. So we're going to be in Galatians, Galatians 1, and we're going to start in verse 10, and then we'll go all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. You can turn there with me and follow along. The words will also be up on the screen. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy." And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, although privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, that they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, 
they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, your word is light, and it comes into the darkness. It comes into the darkness of this world, and it comes into the darkness of our minds. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see your light, and that by it we would see everything else. God, we ask us that you would, rem- we ask that you would remove our blindness that the blindness of sin, the distractions of this world would not prevent us from seeing you clearly this morning, that we would hear you speaking to us even today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul summarizes his call to ministry, and he thinks that this is important to do in light of the attack of the message that he had for the churches in Galatia. And all of this has been recorded. He's not kind of speaking arbitrarily, but he's speaking from fact that can also be verified. And so he's reminding these churches of the facts so that they can understand what's going on. And he's essentially saying like, hey, trust me. Right? That's why he goes to pains. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. Look, this is my life. This is what's happened. This is not coming from anything or anywhere but from God. And so he wants the people to know that he is a legitimate apostle. That his ministry, that his message is legitimate. And he wants them to know that because it's everything. It's everything. And in Ephesians, and we'll go there in a little bit, Paul uses this metaphor of the teaching of the apostles and the prophets as a foundation which the church is built on, with Jesus as the cornerstone. And so that's why I think it's helpful to see what he's doing here is basically an inspection of the foundation. Like, is this a true foundation? Is this something that can support the church? Or do we need something else in addition to it? And so as he's going through his personal history, the first place that he starts is with his own conversion. It's when he first was interrupted by the gospel. When the power of the gospel came and interrupted his life and transformed him. And so this is recorded in Acts, and Paul summarizes it here and says, I was on the road to Damascus to persecute the church. He was going to Damascus to pull a bunch of Christians out of their homes and to throw them in jail, to separate them from their families and their neighbors and their livelihoods and throw them in jail. He was trying to snuff out the church. And then Jesus showed up. Now, that's problematic because Jesus is supposed to be in heaven. He had already ascended. And so for Jesus to show up to interrupt Paul had to be incredibly important. 
It had to be incredibly important, not just for Paul, but for the rest of the history of the human race. Incredibly important. And so the story is that Paul was blinded by the appearance of Jesus. Jesus questioned him. He brought condemnation on Paul. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? When you're attacking those Christians, you're actually attacking me. Why are you persecuting me? I am the God you claim to worship. So Jesus reveals himself as Yahweh to Paul in that moment. And Paul falls on his face. And it's in 1 Timothy that we get a glimpse of the meaning, the importance that Paul has discerned from that event in his life. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 15, it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And he goes on and says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see, Paul's conversion established a pattern. It established a pattern of when the gospel comes into a person's life, it comes with power. It interrupts. Even someone who is going to persecute Christians, it interrupts him. The you know, ironic thing about Paul's narrative is that he was going into Damascus. Well, he did go to Damascus. But instead of persecuting the church, he went to teach them about Jesus. That quick. That quick. A complete transformation of his life. And so you see, Paul's life, his conversion experience, how the gospel came to him, how it interrupted his life, it became part of this fabric of the foundation of the preaching and teaching of the apostles. It was so important. It was important for his ministry, and it was important for the church. Ephesians 2 is where he talks about this as the foundation. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 18 For through him, Jesus, we both, and he's talking to the Ephesian church, we both, Jews and Gentile, both have access in one spirit to whom? The Father. We are both children. We are both adopted. We both belong in this house. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The foundation is sure. It's sure because... Paul is a real apostle. He really met the resurrected Lord 
The resurrected Lord really gave him a commission to go and preach the gospel, to serve as a pattern for those who were to believe in the future, and to complete this apostolic foundation that is held together in Christ. Why? So that the church can grow. So that the church can be built on it and be a beautiful dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, these teachers weren't just attacking Paul, but they were attacking the church. They were trying to undermine the foundation. They were trying to construct a different foundation, a man-made foundation. A foundation that, yeah, Jesus might be part of it, but unless you complete the law, unless you fulfill the law personally, it's not stable enough to support you. And so the cornerstone of that other foundation, don't you see, it's not Jesus anymore. It's your own ability to fulfill the law. And so that foundation will crumble and fall. Any man-made foundation to your faith will crumble and fall. And in the language of Galatians, it will take you back into slavery. It will take you back into slavery. I love the poetic justice of Paul's ministry. In this passage, he's just like breezing through things. And I want to slow down on one of them really quickly. Because I just want to imagine being those early Christians. Those early Christians who had been converted and you knew that Paul was coming. And he was going to persecute you. You were being hunted by him. And maybe they got word that he was coming to Damascus. And so they're hiding in fear, taking the faith underground for a time. But then this happens. And all of a sudden, Paul goes and does ministry somewhere else for three years. And then he comes back. And he goes to these churches in Judea where nobody had met him yet, but they had heard about him. And what they were hearing was, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of it. This is the essence of the Christian faith. That even the most vehement opponent at the word of Christ, turns and becomes a messenger for that faith. And it is that message that we are built on. We, the church, we are constructed on top of this foundation. We're built into a dwelling place of God. And it's important for us to see this kind of chain of events where Paul's story, his conversion, how the gospel met him, how Jesus met him and commissioned him, that personal history was woven into the fabric of the apostolic foundation and how that 
is what we in our church are resting on. It's what we are built on. And so you see, the gospel invading and transforming history doesn't just happen abstractly, but it happens personally. And it uses the details of people's lives to show off the glory of God. And so this is a really good chance for us to think about this for us, little Portico Church. We've been around for 13 years, just over 13 years. And we have been around just long enough to start to see and remember some of the contours of the house that's being built here. We're seeing some of the fabrics that, are, that God uses to knit us together, to be his dwelling place. And it's connected to our history, our personal history, our life together as a church. And this morning, as Johnny is bringing his service as a pastor and on staff here to a close after 13 years, I think it's really good that we think about how his life has informed how we are the dwelling place of God and to glorify God because of that. Because we see the threads that link all the way back to Paul, all the way back to the apostles. It's the same gospel that's at work. And the reality is that Johnny's been a major part of how Jesus has built the church here. A major part of it. The gospel invaded and transformed his life. He can tell you more about that. It continues to do that, by the way. (laughs) God's not done with him. And in the last 13 years, how God has met Johnny has been a part of how God continues to meet us, how God continues to meet me. And so we see this pattern of the gospel invading, transforming our lives. Here's a few areas that I've seen that at work, that you have seen that and experienced that at work. And the first one that I think of when I think of Johnny and how the gospel has transformed his life would be in the area of service. Johnny's a servant. He's been here for 13 years and he's done probably everything that you can do in a church. He was part of the core team. He has always been the person who is enabling someone else to do a great job. He was always the person who was thinking about how they can do something to lift up and to empower and to equip someone else to serve God, to love God. He served this church, and he serves it tangibly, Johnny's a doer, so he likes to do a lot of stuff. He gets things done, but he also serves it spiritually. And those two aren't disconnected, but they can be different. They can look differently. And he does both. You might see him doing more, but what you don't see is how he prays for you, (laughs) how he thinks about you, how he's loved you through his service. 
The second thing that I think about when I think about Johnny's last 13 years is perseverance. (laughs) He's been through a lot. And that goes back even longer than just the 13 years. He's been through a lot with the church. The fact that he is still in a church is a little bit of a miracle. It's its own testimony of God's grace. And it's not that he's just stuck around. It's not that he's just like, well, I don't have anywhere else to go, so I guess I'll be here still. No, it's perseverance is a remaining steadfast through many trials. And so when transitions happened, when sin happened in the church, when there was difficulty, when things were shook and rocked, Johnny was steady, and he's a stabilizer. He stabilized things. He's allowed us to exist. His ministry is responsible for the existence of this church today. God has worked through that. He's worked through all of the different ways that he has um, called Johnny and prepared Johnny, and now has used that to preserve our church to allow us to be here this morning even. Connected to this is suffering. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out ways that we can prevent suffering, but it always finds us. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that Johnny has suffered. And this shouldn't, I don't want this to like, make us feel guilty, <laughs> but it's just the reality it's just the reality. If you are, and you don't have to be in pastoral ministry for this to be true. If you are in a member or around a church for a long enough, you are going to suffer. And that suffering will start presenting some questions to you. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I still here? Wouldn't it be easier somewhere else? Should I leave? Like, is this whole thing just a lie? Right? Suffering will present those questions to you. And there's a sacrifice that comes along with the suffering that you endure. There's a sacrifice in relationship. If you stay at this church, and this isn't just Johnny, but it is Johnny. If you stay at this church for a long time, you are going to say goodbye to a lot of people. Because <laughs> it's a transient area. It's an area where people move for a few years And then they're like, wow, life's hard here. Might be easier somewhere else. Let's go somewhere else. Or they get a new job somewhere else. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But for those who stay, there's a relational suffering. It's hard. There's also a cost and opportunity for someone to serve the church in this day and age vocationally. Because... It's tricky to explain, and it's even trickier in this area, to explain to like a non-Christian company how you working at the church equals experience that they can use and be useful. It's just a really difficult bridge to kind of get across. And it's just like, eh, maybe, but this person will be easier to hire, so we're just going to go that way. So there's a cost to that an opportunity cost. And then most profoundly, there's spiritual warfare. 
leaders of the church experience attack. And it's not because the leaders of the church are special, but it's because Satan knows strategically that if you take out a leader, there's a lot of devastation that will come downstream of that. And so he's limited in resources, and so he focuses his attacks on leaders. So there's just been an immense amount of suffering, and it's the, it's the type of suffering that when you look at it, you can't help but think of Jesus. You can't help but think of how Jesus has suffered in those ways. And this is just a small degree of filling up and participating in the sufferings of Christ. But it's significant and it's precious to the Lord. The next one is leadership and training. So Johnny has led and he thinks about how he can create things that will help the church flourish. And that's what a leader does. Takes initiative on them. He takes risks. He does things knowing that he's probably doing them somewhat wrong. And that's terrifying. (laughs) And yet that's what a leader does because someone has to do it. Someone has to lead the church. And so he's been leading. And part of his leadership has always been training, always training other people, always trying to put the call out there for other people to join in leading. And so you see how his leadership and training has, so many of us have stories about how Johnny's leadership has impacted your faith. How Johnny's leadership has allowed our church to thrive, to be the church that we are today. And then finally, most importantly, and the, the thing that if you don't know Johnny, it will become evident because you won't think of this. And anybody who knows Johnny will think of it, is Johnny has loved this church. He's done all of the above with love. He's been loving God through song, through giving expression to our faith in leading worship. And he's loved the church, seeking our growth in the Lord, seeking our perseverance in the faith. Love. It's really what colors everything else. It's really what Johnny will continue to do as a member here. And it's part of his family. How their family is held together in their unified love of Christ and love for each other. And so we can continue to learn from that, continue to be led by that. And so I wanted us to think about that. And specifically, what do we, what do, we do with that? Like, wh- okay, this is great. Like, we're kind of applying this text, everything that Paul has said. And th- this is kind of fast-forwarding through Galatians quite a bit. But one of the most important kind of takeaways in the book of Galatians is he wants the churches in Galatia to remember how blessed they are and to be thankful Thanksgiving. That is the destination of this book. When you have received the benefits of Christ, when you have received the gospel, you overflow in thanksgiving. 
And so Johnny, his ministry, Jess, her ministry to Johnny, to this church, they are part of the riches of gospel grace that God has poured out. And so let's be thankful. Let's express our gratitude. That's why we're celebrating today. That's why um, as he steps off of staff and out of pastoral ministry, they're not leaving. They're not disappearing. So welcome them into the next phase of their life here at this church. They're members of this church. And maybe you haven't told them how grateful you are. Maybe you haven't seen it. But reflect on that and then give voice to it. Serve them just as they have served you. And then also for Johnny to know, because this is complicated, you're not doing anything wrong. (laughs) This is um, one of the challenges of working full-time in ministry, is that you start to equate the work that you do with God's love for you. You start to equate how useful you are to God with the relationship that he has with you. And so God didn't pretend to adopt you, brother. (laughs) You are a beloved child. Continue to walk in that, even as you're doing different things. More than all that you've done for the church, we're thankful for who the gospel has made you, who you are in Christ, not what you do in Christ. We're thankful that we get to see God's love expressed in your life. So continue, continue in the love of Christ. Continue on in the love of our Savior. Please pray with me. Father, we rejoice. We, um, we are recipients of the most amazing gift. We are recipients of the gift of your Son, who has given himself for our sins. And Lord, that comes through those who have gone before. It's come through the message of the prophets, the message of the apostles, as they were sent by Jesus into various times and places. And now it comes to us through the members of your household who are equipped with your spirit, who give us spiritual knowledge, who give us the privilege of being interrupted by the gospel, being transformed by it. And so, God, I ask that the rest of today, um, that we would respond with gratitude, um, that even as we're thanking Johnny, we're really thanking you, because his ministry has been a gift from you. And so, Lord, we praise your name, that we've been able to be recipients of that gift. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.